Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to Live Your Lux Life. I'm your host, Malia, and I am happy to have you here with me on my weekly show, sharing inspirational stories, motivating each other, and sharing great products and tools to help you live your best life. Tune in weekly and visit liveyourluxlife.com to follow us on social media and catch more news, stories, and reviews. If you would like to support the show, please consider becoming a premium member at premium.liveyourluxlife.com. Premium members always receive ad-free episodes, discounted merch, and participate in our Ask Me Anything community. This all helps to support the show and bringing you weekly content. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back to another week's episode of Live Your Lux Life. My name's Malia, and I want to thank you again for joining me today. It's been a thoughtful week. I would say it's been a really thoughtful week. I do want to remind you, don't forget to hit the follow button wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, don't forget to hit the bell so that you will get notifications whenever a new episode is posted. So how are you doing with your gratitude journal? That's been on my mind all week. You know why? Because I've been writing in my gratitude journal (laughs) literally every day this week. I will say it just really keeps reminding me that of all the things that I need to focus on, on my day-to-day routine, and I mean good habits and bad habits. So I hope that you as well have been writing in your gratitude journal, reflecting on your week, reflecting on your month and your year ahead. I mean, I think that's the purpose of the gratitude journal, you know, whether you are writing about what you're grateful for, or even just reflecting on things that you need to work on in your life. It doesn't have to just be on gratitude, but I think that's the main focus. And then of course, 
then you can also use it to just reflect, reflect on your thoughts, your spirit, your mind. And I just really hope that that has been something that you have taken a little bit from, you know, from the show and have applied it to your, to your life as well. Now today I want to go over a quote by Khalil Gibran. So Khalil, he's a writer, a poet, and a visual artist. You know, he wrote this book. It was published actually in 1923. And it's one of the best-selling books of all time. It was actually published in over 100 different languages. It was translated into over 100 languages. And this quote, something that we all probably know, but to see it in in black and white in writing, I just really want to spotlight it today. The quote that he wrote reads, you give but little when you give of your possessions. It is when you give of yourself that you truly give. So a lot of people think that just because they give monetarily or they can provide monetarily, that that's the end all to be all, that they have no other reason to give of anything else of themselves because they feel like, okay, I've given you my possessions, I've given you of my money, and they feel like that just trumps everything around them. And it just trumps everyone else around them as well that may be giving of their time. And I really am a true believer that yes, money matters, but it's not everything. I truly believe that giving of your time, giving of your spirit, giving your knowledge to someone else, that to me goes much further than someone that's just giving a handout. You really have to be involved with other people in their lives, especially people close to you. Sometimes you forget that, you know, maybe you are the breadwinner of your household. And so you are providing, but that's not what life is just about. Yeah, you have to make money to take care of yourself and take care of your family. But your time to me is so much more valuable. I want the people around me to give not money, not possessions, but the time, the time that you give to others. To me, it just really solidifies relationships. It just shows how much you care for for the next person. When you give of possessions, You can give of possessions and guess what? There's no emotional bearing. You can have zero emotions when you give of possessions or give of money. But when you give your time to someone or to a cause or to something, that to me just, it goes way beyond anything a possession could ever fulfill. So I just want to remind you that this quote here by Khalil, it may mean something a little bit different to everyone. Just as a reminder, you know, don't forget to give of yourself. Don't forget to be there for other people, whether you're volunteering your time to an organization or to your community, all of that matters, but especially to those around you. Make sure you give your time and be available to your friends, your family. You have to show love to get love sometimes. Always remember that you're not, it's not always about you. 
right? Sometimes you have to give to others so that they can feel that you care. Maybe it's about your schedule and you're busy, but everyone's busy. Even the people that you think are not busy, they're busy too. You don't want them going around feeling that you don't appreciate them. So don't forget to give of yourself before you just give monetarily or give of your possessions thinking that's enough. Now I'm so excited to introduce you to our next guest, Chris Johnson. He's the owner of Passion Board Shop. He also has his own podcast, Passion Pod, and he's extremely active in his community. Welcome, Chris. Hello. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the kind words. Absolutely. No, I'm so excited to have you here. I've been looking forward to this interview for the last couple of weeks, and I just want to just kind of dive in and kind of find out a little bit more about your background. Um, so first, you know, where where is your shop located? Uh, Eau Claire, Wisconsin is my hometown. I've lived there since I was two. I'm turning 32, so I spent a lot of time there. I went to college uh, up in Duluth, Minnesota, and I went to the Minneapolis area for a year. But generally, like almost my whole life, I've lived in Eau Claire, which is uh, 90 miles east of Minneapolis to give people like an idea. It's like central Wisconsin, so it's cold. <laughs> yeah. <It's> cold. <laughs> so when did you get into skateboarding? Uh, I, I don't want to admit that it's like a Tony Hawk video game thing. Like, I hate to say that because skateboarding has been such a big part of my life. Um, yeah. But really, a lot of kids get into things like skateboarding based on big like media happenings. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so the Tony Hawk video game series, when that first came out on like the N64 and stuff was, I think, 99 or 2000. And that was like the top three biggest video games. Everyone had it. Everyone had like Super Mario and... Uh, they had NFL Blitz and they had uh, Super Smash Brothers and they had Tony Hawk. That was a game everyone I knew had Tony Hawk. So everyone played it when we were kids. So I was maybe nine, 10, somewhere around there. And then uh, I got introduced to it uh, by a, a, a kid who was a few years older than me, actually up at my cabin, which was kind of crazy because it's in the middle of nowhere. But he was going to this like skateboard camp that used to exist called Lake Owen, which is in way northern Wisconsin. My parents had a cabin on a lake and my mom was a teacher. So I would live up there during the summers. And so I would make friends with all the other like kids coming to visit their grandparents and, and whatever. And uh, this one kid, Khaled, he was visiting uh, his grandparents and went to the skate camp. And we were sitting around the campfire and he had just like gotten back from skate camp, you know, and he was yeah. talking about skateboarding and he had a he was just super cool. You know, he's like four years older than me and already had this cool car that he couldn't legally drive because they were wealthy and they had this big garage. And I was like, oh, a skateboard, that's cool. So went out into the garage and like tried to learn how to ollie, you know, like how to jump yeah. with it. Um, and then I like wouldn't stop. So I always tell people I learned how to ollie the first day because I sat in that garage for like four hours trying while everybody else went back out by the campfire roasting marshmallows. And I was just like addicted. I had to have my own board after that. <laughs> so you're pretty determined. Yeah. That's like one of my, one of my super skills. I'm pretty average, I think at a lot of things, but I'm, I can like, once you decide to do something. Yeah. It's like my endurance. Yeah. I think I have way more endurance than the average person. Cause mentally I've trained myself to do that with skateboarding uh -huh. where it's like, I'll try a trick for long beyond when I should be able to keep going. And then I'll finally get it. And then I'm like hardly walking because my muscles have been done for two hours. But I, I was just focused, you know, like right. I, I rode my bicycle across the state, like across the whole state of Wisconsin a couple of years oh back. Gosh. And I'm like not. It was recent. Yeah, this is a few years ago. And I'm not a cyclist. Like I bought a little seven speed. It's got a little bell on it. And. <laughs> 
I was like, I'm just going to bike 200 miles, you know? So yeah. <laughs> leading up to it, I did a couple like 25 mile rides around my like city, maybe three, yeah. four times before saying like, oh, I could average 50 miles a day. I'm going to go do this, <laughs> you know? And like, shouldn't have been able to do it, but mind I, over matter, you know, right? I did it. it, it that's a lot yeah. of that stuff. It's just, you know, if you have the mental preparation, if you can like focus and keep going, and that's even things like podcasting, right? You know, if you can just keep telling yourself, like, I'm going to keep doing this regardless of how much work it is, regardless of anyone's listening at all. The average podcast lasts seven episodes because people get burnt out and it's a lot of work. And then, you know, when you push beyond that, it's like, okay, there's something here. This person was pretty determined. Absolutely. So, so as determined as you were, did you ever compete in tournaments? Were you- not not like big stuff. You know, the thing with skateboarding is like, if you want to be good at it, for one, you're only going to be really as good as the people around you, you know, yeah. like a little bit better. Maybe the best person in the town is probably not that much better than the next person down that. So it's kind of like yeah. basketball or football or anything in that realm where like, if you're from a smaller town, which my town's got 69,000 people, you know, you're not, there's no pros around you. You know, and not only that, but, you know, we have snow for a good part of the year. So you just can't skate for a good part of the year because we don't have any indoor skate parks in this size of a city. So I'd have to drive over to Minneapolis, you know, which is like an hour and a half drive each way when you're not when you can't drive, you got to beg your parents who don't want to do it. So, yes, I mean, I did. But just like, you know, the local stuff, the ones around Wisconsin up by my cabin, you know, in my town. But they're all really small time stuff. I hang my hat on. uh Right before I opened my shop, we had gotten our first public park built in my town. It's a tiny little park, but and that's a whole long story because I'm on the Parks Commission with my city and I do a lot of city stuff and fundraising. But we had gotten the skate park built and me and some friends threw a skateboard competition and I skated it and I got second in like advanced, you know, like the better category or whatever and i beat like all these kids that i sponsor now i say kids they're adults but all these guys that i sponsor that are definitely better at skateboarding than me i beat like all of them in that contest the only one that i skated with them so i you know can hang that over their heads forever which is pretty nice good story (laughs) but yeah i'm not i'm not i don't know i think i peaked in my skateboarding maybe four or five years ago now i'm just busy i do a lot of things i paint you know i paint murals and do a lot of art yeah. and stuff and the show takes yeah. a lot of time i got two kids right. so it's yeah. a lot of stuff a going lot. on a yeah. lot of time management or the the paintings behind you did you paint those um no uh no not these ones but i do have quite a few that i've painted i wish i could show you easier there's um over here the little monster in the middle of the screen the little eyeball yeah. sticking out that's one of oh, mine yeah. yeah i do a lot of like i don't know like i don't want to say childish cartoony kind of yeah. things i know i'm like telling all these stories so i'm trying to keep everything brief to not go on like crazy long rabbit holes but i started painting when i was really depressed when i was going through uh my divorce and yeah. i i painted like i never did artwork really until then because yeah. i always just yeah. said i wasn't an artist because i wasn't good at drawing or whatever and right. I finally just didn't really care about anything at that point yeah. in time. Um, and so I started painting as just like something to take my mind away from being, there's a long story with with all of it, but I needed something as a distraction, right? So I started yeah. painting and I painted these like dumb little monsters because they were like lighthearted and yeah. kind of made me smile when I was really depressed. And it just kind of kept going. I can tell yeah. it's very therapeutic. It is. I I started painting uh, during uh, during COVID. So was that 2020? Yeah. And honestly, I will paint for hours, like six hours. I don't even the time just passes you by. Yeah. Did you see my do you see my most recent post on Instagram? I posted yesterday of those shoes. 
Yes. I was yeah. I painted those like all weekend. I was just sitting there painting these shoes just because I wanted to, <laughs> you know, it's not because there's any, but the crazy part is I got uh, commissioned now by two other people to paint shoes yeah. for them uh, yeah. just because like they saw me posting the shoes that I painted. And they're like, oh, I got to have some, you know, yeah. which is nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's where it came from is I, I painted lighthearted kind of stupid little monster things. Eventually, I got better at painting those things. And people would ask me, hey, can I have one? You know, and I had so many. I was like, yeah, here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Yeah. And then eventually people kept asking and I was like, well, I don't have any more. And they're like, well, how much then? Like, can I pay you to paint one? Yeah. And I was like, I guess. A little yeah, bit. if you want. Yeah. Yeah. And and so yeah, it just kind of spawned from there. And now I've done graphics for people for, you know, their music stuff. I've painted big murals in my city where, you know, I, I painted big ten foot ones. You know, I painted the whole back half of a friend of mine's uh C B D store with all these, you know, big monsters and stuff. And I do my own apparel because I have my own like clothing line and right. I do a lot of stuff with it now. But yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Say it's just, you know, it's, it's never ending, you know, where your, your artistic, yeah. you know, mind can go. Oh, absolutely. So when did you start the actual uh, skate shop, Passion Board? I started when I was 23. Actually, April 11th would be eight years now. So yeah, coming up on that. When I opened, when I walked away from the corporate world, I was making way too much money as an assistant manager at Verizon Wireless without a degree, like yeah. more money than either of my parents made in their careers. And so walking away from that, my parents were like, what are you doing? Why would you walk away from easy money like that? Because it was really easy money, you know, to do something like sell skateboards. They're like, that's kid stuff. Like, what are you doing? You know, and then all these years later, it's like, see, you know, I told you it would work. Banks told me it wouldn't work, but I knew it. So, yeah, here we are still there. Still there. So did you always know that you wanted to open a, a skate shop? Is this something you've thought about since you were a kid? Or? Yeah, yeah, totally. So I started skating when I was like nine or ten. Um, and I got really, really heavy into it when I went to high school. So I played like all kinds of sports growing up, you know, like soccer and ba basketball was the one that I did from kindergarten all the way through eighth grade. But I played tennis and swimming and I did all kinds of stuff. I just like, I don't know, I like being active. And then when I went to high school, I just like, I wasn't good enough to play, you know, yeah. which that's a whole nother long conversation why I'm not a huge fan of organized sports. Right. There's good things about them, but we teach kids at a young age that you're not good enough. And I think that's horrible. But, but anyways... You know, I, I basketball was something I really liked, but I knew I wasn't good enough. You know, I was never good, even though I practiced at the Y all the time. I just wasn't good. And yeah. so when I got to high school, I knew even JV that I just like wouldn't make the team if I tried. There was three middle schools, you know, yeah. in my town that got filtered down. Basically, well, there's two high schools. But but anyways, with each grade, like eighth grade at my middle school, as an example, there's three basketball teams for the boys in eighth grade. Right. Mm -hmm. And then there's three at the other middle school that got combined to one high school. So you're looking at six teams combined down to one grade now at high school. That means only the best kid on each team realistically is going to have any playing time. And I was like the third best on my team, which means like I just wasn't going to be able to play, which yeah. is pretty defeating. So I was like, I guess I can't play basketball anymore. But skateboarding allowing kids to play because they just want to. What is it? Yeah. And Nobody from Eau Claire, Wisconsin is going to go to the NBA. I'm sorry, but it's not going to happen. We're a division. I don't know what deep, whatever. But you know what I mean? It, the, but that's a whole, like I said, that's a whole conversation. But but skateboarding for me, it was like when I, I went to uh, freshman orientation, you know, and uh, I met a kid who was wearing a skateboarding shirt and like they put us in little groups, you know, and they asked each person, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And that kid said pro skateboarder. And I was like, really? 
Like I love skateboarding, you know? And so immediately we kind of became uh, close friends. And shortly after I found out about our local skateboard shop called Underloud at the time that closed years and years before I opened mine, but yeah. that like, I didn't realize there were like local shops. And so I started taking the city bus downtown instead of the school bus home every day with my yeah. skateboard and we went to the shop. And yeah. so this was kind of before everyone had cell phones. That was like the meeting spot. And it was kind of like a clubhouse. You know, it was like all of us just met there after school. Once you had four or five of us, then we would go skate downtown, get kicked out by cops, come back to the shop, hang out. It was like an everyday, like just like a cool clubhouse kind of thing. And it was at that point that that started to like hit my brain where I'm like, you know, I'm never going to be a pro skateboarder, but like I could own a skateboard shop. And that's like kind of similar, you know, then I could still do skateboarding stuff for a living. And so I had that like mindset and that kind of dream from then. And then, you know, you go through life and everyone tells you you need stability and money. So I went to college for a year up in Duluth and I was on the dean's list and stuff. I was always great in school, but I was like, you know, I want to run a store. At that point, I had kind of been giving up on the dream of owning a skateboard shop, but I had been doing sales for a while. And it's like, you know, I could just sell things and how you get promoted and how you move up isn't based on a degree in sales. It's based on your right. numbers. So then I, I dropped out to start moving up and I worked for K Jewelers, Hellsberg Diamonds. I became an assistant manager there and then got the job from Verizon and worked there for not even a year before I was like, I, I, I make a lot of money, but I'm, you know, I feel like a soulless jackass, like, excuse my language, but I just, I was contributing yeah. to helping a company that I know makes the world worse. And that was really hard, really hard pill for me to swallow every day because I, I, I just couldn't do that, you know. And so I was maybe only working there six months and excelling there. But I was working there for about six months before I was like, no, nah, I can't. I got to figure something else out. And I had a lot of things going on in my life at the time. My parents got divorced. My dad almost died, um, ended up spending nine weeks in the ICU getting a heart transplant. And so I was taking care of him. I'd gotten uh, me and my ex-wife now, but me and my ex-wife had our, our first kid. So, you know, there's all this existential life things happening where it's like, man, yeah. I should have just lost my father. You know, yeah. if That's if I died tomorrow, would I feel good? Like, would I be OK? Like, if I died tomorrow, would I be OK with what I'm leaving my child behind? You know, what stories yeah. they would they would tell, you know, my kid. Yeah. And like, I just had that gut feeling of like, no. Like if I died tomorrow and this is what I spent my life doing, I would be horrified that my child would want to emulate that, you know? So it was just like a lot of stuff happening with all of that. We got our first free public skate park built, which I had been helping fundraising since I was 15. Like in high school, I designed and printed shirts that said, build us a park already. And we, yeah. we sold them to raise money for a skate park. So we had gotten our first free public park built through that contest. And me and the other older skateboarders were like, someone show up in a shop, you know, yeah. and no one else wanted to do it. So it's like all of that stuff was happening in the same six month time frame where it was like, ah, I got to do something different. Yeah. This seems like the right time. This is what I always yeah. wanted to do. There wasn't a skateboard like shop in town at that time. It was like, you know. And like you said, you you don't want to leave this world and feel like you have regrets. Like Absolutely. I feel like there's so many times where we just continue to just track along. But then if you really think about it, is this really what I want to do with my life for the rest of my life is this something i'm really happy with you yeah know, really just come to the realization that i just i don't want to have any regrets you know and yeah I, i'm not going to do that and take take that on for anyone you know? yeah you know it comes from society too like what we're taught 
you know, and in America, in the capitalist world we're, we're in, it's just we teach our children that financial stability is so much more important than it needs to be. You know, they, we put we put a lot of value on that and, and we yeah, praise people more happiness. Absolutely. We praise people for how much money they make. Like when you talk about successful, everyone refers to that as like financially, which is not you know, not true. You know, there's plenty of studies out there that say uh, once you make above, say, 100K a year, money doesn't really affect your happiness anyway. So I think we just teach different, you know, kind of wrong belief systems there. Um, But yeah, just I want to do something that I was proud of, something that I thought helped, you know, and so that was the vision with the shop wasn't to make a lot of money. It wasn't to, you know, sell a bunch of stuff. It was to I wanted to build like a community place where kids came to hang out. I could be that kind of like cool older brother, you know, to to all of them. But I was a parent myself. So I, you know, and working in jewelry and stuff, I I know how to adjust, you know, my language and and all that stuff based on who I'm talking to. So it's like I just kind of felt like I want to build a cool clubhouse that's like a, a really awesome community hub. And I think there's enough of a community that I can make enough money, you know, not a lot of money, but I can make enough money enough. for it to work. Yeah. yeah. And then it just kept going. Just so, kept yeah. so knowing that you were going from corporate to opening your own business, did you what were your fears in that? Well, I guess I looked at it. I looked at it this way in, in the sales world. Your numbers are pretty black and white. You know, like you can look at it and say, if this store does a hundred thousand dollars a year in sales, we have six employees and I'm doing 30,000 of the sales. That means that I'm worth, you know, this percentage of the business, right? That means if you leave on a good note, you can just call them back and say, Hey, like I want a job again. And they'll look at your numbers and say, Oh, we want you back. Like they'll find a way to, to get you back. So I knew that if I needed a job, like I could go back to it. And if I, you know, I'm just much, very much a realist and a planner, you know, I'm not pessimist, but just a realist. And so I could look at the numbers and say, well, here's a place that I could open this shop. This is what the overhead costs are times 12 It's a year long lease. If I fail, this is how much money I'm out. Right. And realistically, if I failed in six months, I could go back to working for Verizon and I made enough money that I could pay my overhead for my store as well through the rest of that lease and go back to where I started, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I felt like the risk that could happen, you know, right. That was really it. And close shop and yeah. And you got to look to like, what's the, so here's the, the key thing I tell people, you know, the, you, it is important to look at what's the worst case scenario, but it's also really important to look at what's the best case scenario and then realize that everything's a spectrum and it's extremely unlikely to be either of those two things. It's going to be somewhere in the middle between those two things. And if you are okay with the worst case scenario, but you want the best case, but you can, you can survive off the worst case, then you know, it's not going to be that it'll be somewhere above that. And is somewhere above that, what I'm going to be satisfied and like happy with. And if so, then yeah, you should probably pull the trigger, but it was the financial side was the biggest part. It was like, I knew I'm going to take a huge pay cut, you know, is my ex-wife going to be cool with it like am i going to be able to support my family off it and you know like i said i figured worst case i could go back to working at verizon you know even if i still had my store i could go bartend or something to like supplement income i knew there was i could make it and weather the storm of a year of what that was going to cost me kind of regardless but i assumed it would work and then you know it did i did make significantly less money you know I, I still think i probably make less money than i did when i was 22 working at verizon but that's okay it's not important i have enough i have a house you know yeah. i can do what i I, I have enough money to 
you know, do the things that I want to do. Financial was the biggest part for sure for me. So did you open the shop by yourself or did you have a partner or? I, I don't work well with others. <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> I, I'm just super determined and I'm very particular about like, I want things to be a certain way. I want my, you know, if I have a vision for something like it's not going to work unless it's that thing, you know, and um, is ever as passionate as you are with your just, ideas and your dreams. It's just, yeah, I haven't found that situation very often yeah. that that's the case. Right. Me neither. So I just, I, I love working with other people, but never where I'm dependent on them. You know, I just like yeah. working with others where we're each doing our own thing, but it benefits each other, you know, kind of like being on a guest on a show or something, but no, I couldn't, I just couldn't do it, you know? Um, and I couldn't get a loan from a, a bank. I tried, I gave them business plans and everything. And they were like yeah. skateboard shops, you know, statistically speaking fail. So yeah. they wouldn't give me a loan. What ended up happening was I got into my lease at my shop in January and they said, you can. You can have the first few months for free as long as you pay the heating because the building was empty for a while. They're like, you cover the heating and water. We won't charge you rent until April. So I got in my space early, worked 40 hours a week at Verizon, called my old job at Hellsberg Diamonds, and uh, they gave let me work an open to close shift. So a 12-hour day on one of my days off from Verizon um, to like make more money and then work my shop. And I had a good credit score because I was responsible. So I maxed out two credit cards for a total of $8,300 worth of uh, reach. <laughs> and that's how I bought all my inventory, you know, on top yeah. of working those couple, you know, months way too much to kind of get a little bit extra money. Yeah. But that, that's how I was able to get the money to even open it. And that way I didn't have any other influences. Yeah. Not saying go get a credit card and get high interest yeah. rates and like, you know, but you do have to pay that back. But you did right. self-finance. You were right. dependent. You didn't run out and get, you know, I've seen so many businesses, so many people. The first thing they say yeah. is, oh, I'm a, let me find an investor. And I right. always think, you know, is that the best idea? It you dictates know, but... what you do so much. Then you, you yeah. can't make decisions that aren't. It's hard to convince an investor to let you make a decision that doesn't immediately show a profit. And right. business doesn't work that way. Not small business. You know, right. there's a lot of things you do that don't turn a profit and they're not yeah. supposed to, and they never will turn a profit, but it builds something else. It builds a reputation or a community, or, you know, it a lot opens up other opportunities, you know, things like that. And with me, I can see the big picture, you know, yeah. most small business owners can, but if you have somebody who only has a financial interest, it's, it's really hard because that kind of murks up your vision of what you want to do. Cause all of a sudden you have to get approval for things. And that was something I wanted to avoid. Like, absolutely as much as possible. So thankfully I was able to do that. And I paid off all that credit card debt in like yeah. three months. So oh, it was okay. <laughs> I think also too, when people look at getting investors, like you said, I think it takes some of the joy out of the business because yeah. instead of you focusing and being passionate, all you're thinking about is this guy over here that I owe. It's almost like having a boss then. You wanted to go be your own boss. But now all of a sudden you kind of have a boss. <laughs> um, so yeah, investors, I don't think is the right way. Uh, it's to, to explain how to open a business to somebody would take longer than a podcast episode, most likely. But, yeah. um, but, but it's really important, I think, to have a clear cut vision of this is what I want my business to be. This is why it's going to work. Do a business plan so that you actually understand numbers of like how much how much you need to sell of what products for their profit margins and whatnot to pay the bills. So you have an understanding of all of that stuff but you can't sacrifice your vision a whole lot. So sometimes 
you have to, you know, work way more than 40 hours a week for six months or a year to bring up a nest egg going into it. You know, maybe you have to sell your car and drive, you know, take the city bus, whatever, you know, maybe you have to make, you have to make financial sacrifices to open a business. Like you have to, but it, you know, it's okay. Truthfully speaking, people use their money typically to buy things they think will make them happy. That's usually what they use it for. Right. So when you get to Friday, Friday, you know, <laughs> you're putting on your fancy, whatever your shoes, you just bought those Jordans and, and you're driving your nice car to go to the bar or to go to a club or to go to a show this weekend. And you're spending all this money to make yourself happy on the weekends because you're miserable all week, you know, when all of a sudden, if it's like, well, if I'm not miserable all week, do I have to do I have to reach for these things to try to make me happy to make up for it on the weekend? No, probably not. You know, I found I sold my car and when I opened my shop, I had a, a little cruiser skateboard puts like big soft wheels on it, you know, and one of the first posts ever on my my shop's page is a picture of me. I was literally like cruising down this like mellow hill. I had a cup of coffee in my hand and I took a picture of like my feet, like riding my board. And I was just listening to music, drinking coffee, skating to my shop, you know? Yeah. And it was like money that's couldn't life. buy this, you yeah, know? But this life. didn't cost me any money either. It was just like, this makes me so happy that I'm totally cool with not having a car even, you know, yeah. at that point. Now I have to have a car. I got kids and stuff to drive, but <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so looking back, did you did you know what you were getting into when you opened your shop? Did you know? that it was going to, that you were going to have the hurdles that you had. I mean, I know it, there's nothing that's perfect. Yeah. Even if you put it this way, even if you were the general manager of somebody else's skateboard shop for 20 years, times change, right? Yeah. Different things as, you know, social media becomes a bigger part of advertising as an example, or COVID hits and you can't get products as an example. There's going to be hurdles that you can't, there's just no way that you can foresee them. But I had a good understanding. You know, I'd spent a lot of time hanging out around skateboard shops over the years. So I kind of knew that I understood the community because I was really involved in the skateboard community through fundraising and different things in my town. Everyone knew me in the skateboarding world in my area already. Not because I was yeah. like crazy popular. It's just not that big of a community. So, you know, we I already knew how many people were going to be around there. And I had already managed or was the assistant manager anyways of several different stores. So I knew kind of like this is how long to expect when you order inventory. I understand profit margins vary depending on the product. I understand different advertising things. I had a good handle of like this is how a business functions. But I knew it was going to be, you know, there's going to be a lot of stuff to figure out. The The thing for me was like, I just didn't care about money once I opened my store. It just didn't really matter to me because I didn't really need it for anything. And when I opened, like I said, I opened in April. I worked from 10 a.m. until 8 p.m. when I opened until the kids went back to school in the fall. Every day, seven days, well, six days a week and then Sundays from 12 to 6. So what is that? 66 hours of operation that I was there every day. No days off at all. All all the way, unless it, I don't know, unless something crazy had happened. But otherwise I was there every day for almost six months like that. So that way I could make enough money, put it back into the shop, get more inventory, pay off the things and like, you know, do whatever I had to do. But the funny thing is, is like, if I think about it, if somebody else had opened a local, like local skateboard shop like that, probably would have spent a lot of my free time just hanging out there anyways. Yeah. Just because I like being there, you know? So it, I worked really hard, but like, 
I kind of had a handle on how it all worked. And then you learn stuff so fast. One of the big things with owning a business is you have to be able to be resourceful and figure things out on your own. You don't have anyone you can ask. Like, why? if this something happens, this problem happens, you, you just have to figure it out. Say your internet's not working. You can't charge somebody's credit card and you just set, you know, set up a skateboard for them. They're trying to leave and they can't pay for it. What are you going to do? You have to be able to problem solve. And all these problems come up fast. A lot of them, you know, say 90% of the common problems will happen over the course of the first three months or whatever. And you have to face them. And every day it's like, there's something. But once you face something, next time it comes up, it's not a big deal. It just slowly gets easier, you know? So you just have to have that attitude of like, well, I'm going to figure it out. There's no choice. I'm going to figure it out. YouTube's a helpful resource. I found that I even called other skateboard shops and other skateboard brands just to be like, hey, what did you do in this situation? I'm facing this to try to problem solve. You just you have to be willing to like solve the problem because nobody else is going to solve it. Sometimes it's really unfortunate. You know, like I got broken into a couple of times and dealing with that, you know, was miserable. I just lost a ton of money. You know, coming to my store and my windows being shattered was like, oh, my God, you know, not expected. Right. Right. And you can't foresee that. But you know, you handle it. And as you figure out, as you solve problems and you work through it, it just gets easier. Things don't phase you as much, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So having, having a board shop for, for anyone out there that's looking to open up something similar, what additional products or services would a board shop have or offer? Um, Obviously there's apparel, you know, obviously the boards, is there anything else that other people may not think about? So, the vast majority of people that skateboard in my area buy their boards from my shop because it's like I said, it's a community thing. People, you need to build community around any local business, you know, where the the customers feel like there's, there's ownership there. You know, it's kind of like how people will be like, like I'm in Wisconsin, the green Bay Packers are my team, you know, like we're, I don't actually have ownership of the team, you know, but you feel like there's some kind of ownership there and you have to, you have to instill that and build that within your community through a lot of things like events. You know, I sponsor different kids. We've done videos and stuff and we do contests and we've done art shows, like all kinds of stuff to build that community. Right. Oh yeah. Right. So when you get to that point, you're like, okay, so 90% of people that skateboard in my area buy their boards from me. That's only going to equate to not that much money really, because there's not much of a profit margin on skateboards for a lot of reasons, hard goods in general, things other than apparel typically don't have huge markups and then they're awkward size and heavy. So shipping them takes a lot of the profit margins and whatnot. So it's like, okay, how do I recover that then? Say 25%, I'm just throwing numbers out here, but say 25% of people that buy skateboards from me probably want to wear a shirt that says passion on it, you know? Right. So, you know, you, you get apparel in and then you just start looking at like, okay, well, what other things when people are coming by my store, what other things do they buy that I could get? at a wholesale cost from someone, you know? So like I sponsor the roller derby team in my town. I don't know much about roller derby, you know, but I, I respect them. They're really cool people. Um, and they have nowhere else to buy their safety gear because they have to have like specific ones per like the leagues and whatnot. So I carry all the safety gear for the roller derby team. So I make up some profit margin on there. I sell a ton of sunglasses. I sell like kind of a ridiculous amount of socks and stickers, you know, good profit margins on them. They're just kind of like an easy add on thing that people, people buy. But Honestly, like skateboard shops aren't something you make a lot of money on. If you're going to have kids and stuff, it you almost always kind of have to find secondary income. Be yeah. Open to basically diversify 
Yeah, you have to. It's hard to have a second job. Some people will do that, you know, where like one night a week they go bartend to kind of make up for the money or something like that. Um, but I also like I paint murals. I sell a lot of paintings, so I make some money that way. My show makes me money. So, you know, there's there's other outlets. But but that's the thing is like you need to build a community first. So that way your spot is where everyone who skateboards goes to because then that loyalty is there and they'll want to buy the other things you sell. And if you just ask the people who come in, like notice what else they're buying and ask them like, hey, would you buy sunglasses if we carried them? You know, like, do you think we should carry hats? Like, should we make some backpacks? I think people would like that Longboards, you know, if you just like have those conversations, you'll identify the, the other things that people will buy, you know, and some of them, will be, you know, will be trend based, you know, they'll come and go, yeah. you know, for a year or whatever, but you, you got to identify those things. But skateboards in particular, that's an industry where you pretty much can't open a skateboard shop unless you skateboard yourself because you'll get burnt out. You do it because right. you love being involved, you know. Yeah. Um, and you're never going to make a lot of money on it. It, It's just not, it's extremely hard to make very much money on it unless I'm totally missing something, which I don't think I am, (laughs) you know, but that's okay. That's not why you do it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You do it for the love of it and Mm -hmm. you know, just the passion, but do you make your own brands of, of skateboards um, or do you sell other brands? I mean, I, I did notice that you also paint boards. Right. So yeah. is that a whole process? Is that a, a brand or is it just something? Yeah. So again, coming back to like building a community, right? Yeah. A brand is the center of it. So passion is my brand, right? Exactly. Passion board shop is the skateboard shop. Passion pod is my podcast. Passion is the brand. So right. I design shirts. I've I've had other artists and designers, you know, do graphics and stuff for me to make shirts and hoodies and shorts and you know, hats, backpacks, what fanny packs, I mean, whatever. So I have my own branded apparel, um, which is huge. If you can get people to be invested and enjoy the brand of your store, now they're walking bill, they're paying you to be walking billboards all over town. You know what I'm saying? And the profit margin is usually a lot higher. So I recover a lot of money that way. That's a big one for me. So I do that. Skateboards. Yes. And without going a rabbit hole of like how much certain things cost and how it all works, I can't just press my own skateboards, like physically getting, sourcing the veneers, like the layers of wood and gluing them and shaping them and pressing them. You need a big factory for that. It's right. You know, I'm sure if you had like a factory that you worked with. I do. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's where I I know again, I'm talking forever. I'm sorry. (laughs) There's just a lot to it. But so most skateboard brands do not manufacture their own boards. There there's manufacturers then there's distribution centers and then there's brands. That's how it works, right? right? A brand is, there's a brand and then it's distributed by this distribution center, which handles say five brands. Everything from that distribution center gets manufactured at this one factory in Mexico or wherever it is, you know? So that's kind of goes through those levels. So yes, um, I do have my own branded passion boards, right? They say passion on them. Um, I do the artwork on them these days, uh, but I've had other people do artwork on them in the past. So I have a a manufacturer called Control Manufacturing up in Canada that presses uh, my boards. I provide the graphic for them and I know exactly what shapes and quantities I want. The big thing is in order to have them made, I have to make a hundred at a time of just the one graphic. So I do one graphic each year that's like my own branded boards. And then I also sell, you know, a ton of other different brands based on what's popular at the time. And it kind of works that way. The boards that you see me paint, a lot of those, um, 
I just like painting them. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them turn into board graphics. So last year's last year's graphic, I did a painting on a skateboard. Then I took a picture of it on my iPad Pro that I have um, and made a digital rendition of it. Gave that to my board manufacturer, then had boards made based on that painting. And the same thing's happening right now. Uh, the 2022 boards that are coming are based on a painting that I did. Um, but a lot of the other ones, I just... You know, I just like painting and people seem to really like when I skate, like paint on skateboards, you know, so, um, so I paint on those. (laughs) Yeah. It's unique, you know, and I get them for cheap or cheaper, you know, so they, it just kind of works. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that is how a lot of my graphics for my own board start these days are based on paintings I had, I've already done. Gotcha. Okay. I wasn't sure if you were technically painting in, oh, each individual board. In each individual, right? That's yeah, no, I paint so slow. <laughs> that would take, that would take so long. <laughs> so yeah, I, I paint one for myself. I usually keep that one um, unless yeah. I'm selling them at an art show or something, and then I make a digital version and then have them printed that way. Yep. Okay. Okay. That's that's so interesting. Yeah. I think that gives a lot of people a really a lot of great ideas, you know, and oh yeah, decide to do whether it's you know boards or you know whatever it is getting stuff printed now is so much more possible if, if you can afford an ipad pro yeah. oh my god as a business like yeah. the program procreate comes like free on an ipad pro it's just like the drawing program you know right. it's I, I can't overstate how helpful that tool is i've made so many like little monster designs that then i can just submit that to a company to have stickers made or t-shirts made or hats made or like oh. i said skateboards made it's if you have any interest in doing design work at all, it's an incredibly useful tool. And then you're not paying a graphic designer, you know, hundreds of dollars per design that they're doing or whatever, which they they earn their money and I'm not trying to discount it. But, yeah. you know, small shops, you can't afford to pay it all the time. Yeah, you can't. And if you can do it on your own, you know, why not? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You can do everything on your own these days. The internet is such a crazy helpful tool. You know, 10 years ago, you couldn't do half the things I do with my store and now you can do them super cheap, you know, like stickers. There's, there's so many websites that do stickers for sticker mule is one common one. I'm on their emailing list. So I get emails from them all the time. Every week they have another deal where it's like, you can get 50 stickers that are three by three inches for $29 free shipping. And I just like send them a design. I just drew up. And I get them in a week and then I can yeah. sell those. You know, it's the opportunities are so crazy now for what you can make. And I mean, look at like making an album. Right? You just yeah. make an album and put it on Spotify yourself for free. Right. It's True. it's crazy. And then I did see that you collaborated with uh, with the brand State Footwear. That was cool. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, very cool. So how does a partnership like that happen? Like, how did it start and... Um, so the dude, Kevin Furtado, I think is his name who owns state footwear. Uh, he was the designer for the skate shoe company called decline, uh, D E K L I N E. They're no longer in business. And when they went out of business, he didn't think it was the designs that were the problem. He thought it was like the, the investors and other things. Right. So he started this, this, his own skateboard shoe company called the free and liberated state because it was just him. He could do whatever he wanted with it. So he felt free as a designer to just create. So state for short, uh, he was working with a lot of local skateboard shops and stuff. And that was his idea is he was like, you know, skateboard shops already have their own boards and stuff, but shoes are such a high quantity that skateboard shops never have their own shoe. How can we do that? You know? And so he had the idea of, well, 
we can make a shoe that we can still produce 10,000 units of or whatever the number is, but we can do a much smaller quantity on insoles and we can do a much smaller quantity on some other things. So he had the idea of, hey, here's a quantity that realistically skateboard shops can afford. There's still a minimum and stuff. But if you decide you want to do this, you can provide what you want for the artwork on the insole. And then you can provide the artwork to be on the tongue of the shoe. So the, the tongue of the shoe is printed that says passion board shop had my logo. I had my tattoo artist do uh, a, this cool, like rose graphic on the, the insole. So on the inside of the shoe, it, you know, had my branding. And so, yeah, we, we had that collab. I mean, it took, I don't remember nine months or something to have them all made, but it was a really cool thing. I never thought I would have my own like colorway of a shoe, yeah. but then again, I never thought I'd have my own custom scented candles, you know, or my own CBD tinctures or, you know, yeah. I've done a lot of collabs are fun. You know, it's not usually yeah. a big money maker, but they're fun. And when you have a smaller quantity of stuff like that, you have a, typically have a lot of people really loyal, you know, yeah. a lot of my really loyal customers, anything I make that's passion, they want to buy one want just it. because, yeah. you know, just because Chris made that, I got to have one, you know? So, yeah. So that, that was a fun one, but being open to being open to collabs, that's, it's a cool way to reach other business, you know, other clientele and stuff. It, yeah. The big thing with business for me is stop. You can't look at the short-term money. You got to look at the long-term vision, right. right? And collabs are really cool for a lot of different reasons. You can make money on them, but a big thing is you're now in front of the other businesses clientele. You know, yeah. so you can you can find new people and stuff that way. It's just a cool advertising thing. So, so do you sell your products online or is it just local? Well, the problem is I have a Shopify website that's set up with Printful. So if you order a T-shirt or a hat or whatever that's on there, it gets printed, you know, on demand like that. You order it right. in the next couple of days, it gets printed by the company. Then they ship it out to you directly. So it eliminates me from being a part of the conversation. I make less per unit, you know, for sales, but that way I can sell it. Um, but that's the only way to do it, you know, um, because to sell skateboards online, to have a selection even kind of comparable to the major online websites, you'd have to have a massive warehouse, you know, yeah. and then for it to make sense. So people are going to put an order with me, right? Then I got to take the board off my wall. Then I got to remove it from the inventory on my website. Then I have to box it up, sh- you know, get a shipping label, go wait at the post office for 25 minutes, depending on how long that stupid wait is to get that to ship out. And I'm an hour and a half into work and I made $8. Not only, you know, then when I get every skateboard that comes into my store, I would have to take pictures of it or find photos online, upload it to my website, upload the quantities and the descriptions and the prices. And it, it's so much work. It's no, cost effective. it's yeah. not cost effective at all, but yeah. my own, my own branded stuff, because you can't buy them anywhere else, yeah. then I'm not in competition. Nobody else sells passion branded tees. So, exactly. you know, so those things I'll sell online and I sell a lot of stuff just through Instagram, you know, like I'll post, I have, uh, my friend, um, James Crosby, he was the third ever guest on my show. He owns this company called, uh, the sticker spot. It's like a local, sticker place, but he prints t-shirts and does a lot of stuff. Um, but he'll print individual one-of-one items for me, you know? So like I'll get hats and I'll be like, okay, I want this logo, but I want it in these five colors on these five color hats. So I'll I'll get five hats and each one is a one-of-one. You can't buy another one of this. That's there's only one and I'll post those to Instagram and then people can DM me and then I'll, you know, I'll sit, I'll send them and stuff. But then it's a little bit more personal of a, a conversation with each of those customers. They feel like they're getting something unique because they are. They're usually willing to pay a little bit more for that product. And they're not so like, well, Amazon gets it in two days. I should get it in two days. 
you know, they're a lot more understanding about like, Hey, I'll send it out next week or like, you know, when I have time, but online's not a big part of my business. And you know, the other big reason why is I don't want to take sales from other skateboard shops. Like there's not that much money in the skateboard industry to begin with. And core shops are such community places that I don't want you to buy a skateboard from me that I'm not going to make hardly money, you know, any money on is going to take all this time. If there's a local skateboard shop in your town, I would rather you go support them. I appreciate you want to support me, but like they're important. You know, I would rather you spend money with them. That being said, if you don't have a, a shop in your town and it makes sense for me, like I have friends who have moved away, they understand I don't make much money on a skateboard. So they'll wait till they need a few, you know, like my friend Paul lives in Minneapolis area and he he'll text me and say, Hey, uh, what boards do you have in this size? I'll grab three and a couple t-shirts or whatever. So he'll spend, you know, way more money. So that way I can just do one shipment to him and it makes sense for me. And that way he can still, you know, ride stuff for me and wear, you know, stuff for me, that kind of a thing. So what keeps you motivated in your, in your business, just your day to day? And obviously the artistic yeah. side of it is just never ending. You're, you're always going to yeah. have a love for that. Well, when my shop turned five was when I started doing my show, I'd kind of like wanted to find something else. Cause no matter what you do, no matter how much you love it, eventually you're, it's going to get slightly stale, you know? Yeah. And a big part of what I wanted to do with the shop was, like I said, build this kind of community and be like a mentor. Like that was a big thing for me is I kind of wanted to be a mentor to kids and, and help them grow, you know? Yeah. And over the years now, kids who were in middle school, you know, that were coming around my shop when it opened, they're graduating from college and stuff now, you know? Yeah. So I've kind of been a part of that process, at least to a certain degree. Um, so I was kind of looking for another thing to do. And the show, like I, I call my show an inspirational storytelling experience and I tell people the goal is to inspire the listener to think about their own passions and help them and uh, and encourage them to find more ways to incorporate those passions into their lives yeah. um, because I think it helps you feel more fulfilled. So the show is kind of an extension of what the shop is, except now I'm not talking to one or two kids at a time. You know, now I can share stories and, and I can kind of be a mentor in my own small way. I'm not trying to take too much credit for things, but, yeah. you know, I can kind of help inspire people to do what they want with their lives. And I think I can have a much larger impact through the show in that particular realm than I can Absolutely. through the shop just because of the medium. You know, a thousand people can listen to an hour long conversation, you know, versus me having a thousand conversations one on one. It's just so that that is something I'm very, very motivated by. I wouldn't say I'm phasing out of being at my store, but I do have like a general manager now. So I'm not in my store full time anymore. And it, that kind of leaves me open to do other stuff. I, like I'm on the Parks and Waterways Commission for my city. So doing fundraising things that way or, you know, park stuff, like it kind of leaves me open to do other things. But you have to always have, you know, things that you're working on that are new challenges to like kind of stay excited. You can't really always do the same thing, you know. So it, it's, it is always inspiring just being in my store because there's new kids. You know, I always call them a new crop because every year there's like another group of five kids that started skating that I'll see, you know, five times a week because they're skateboarding downtown and I develop relationships with all these kids and it's always really cool. So there's always kids that are coming up and I'm always like inspired to want to help them and, and encourage them and whatever. And that's always an ongoing cool thing. Uh, yeah. But yeah, with the shop, it, it kind of transitioned into now I'm really interested in doing more artwork with people and collaborating that way with other businesses. Now I'm interested in telling people stories because my, my podcast is on a couple of radio stations so I can do things in other, you know, avenues, not just skateboarding. So it's, it's always fresh, 
you know, there's always stuff to do. And it all ties back to the brand. Like it's all still tied, you know, and as my show gets bigger, my own brand sells more products and stuff and I can get other advertisers or other, you know, business opportunities pop up, which are exciting. And so yeah. it's, it's always evolving. And that's one thing I, I do love about your story as well as you really do give back to the community, um, not just in the shop with the kids, but you know, with the city and building, you know, skate parks. Um, tell me more about that. How did you get involved with working with the city and, and what are your plans in the future with that? Yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, opening the shop, I, I wanted to leave like a legacy for my kids kind of, you know, like that was part of it. Um, but it's just really, really important to me that when I am gone, that I have left a positive impact on people you know, my community in particular, it just was something that mattered to me a lot. And so it goes way, way back. You know, um, we didn't have our first free public skate park built until, uh, the summer before I opened my skateboard shop. So I was 23 when we got that built, right. I've been skateboarding since I was 10. Where did I skate? Well, usually downtown and stuff, getting kicked out by cops, getting tickets, like that type of thing, because skateboarding is illegal. So anyways, we've been fundraising. When I was in print graphics class in high school, I designed these shirts. I, I won't go into a long story about it, but I actually got one recently, which is crazy that one still existed. Somebody found one. But um, I, I designed them that said, build us a park already. They're just plain black shirts that I like use like little rectangular tool to make it look like little two by fours that were like built together, you know? Um, and I gave them to the skateboard shop under loud at the time to sell, to raise money for a new skate park. So that's how far back it goes. When people ask me how long you've been fundraising, I'm like 17 years, long time I've been fundraising. Um, so I, I did fundraising stuff from when I was that age, but then when I, I went to college in Duluth for a year, and then when I moved back, when I was 19, this dude, Gabe Brummett, uh, had moved to Eau Claire. He was from Lawrence, Kansas. And he's like 10 years older than me or something. And he was appalled that we didn't have a free public park when he moved. He's like, Why, what do you mean we don't have a free skate park in this town? How is that possible? And so he started a Facebook group called the Eau Claire Skaters Association. And it, you know, it really ended up being me and him mostly for, you know, since then. So 13 years now of me and Gabe doing stuff and people will come in for a year and then get burnt out on fundraising because it's a thankless job and you don't, you don't make money and whatever. So there's been people who have came in for a year or two and helped out with this, that or whatever. And I'm not trying to downplay their involvement, but you know, we've been working on stuff, you know, for a long time. And of the two of us, I'm a lot more, I'm okay with being very public about my opinions on things. You know, I don't have to please people as much. That's not that important to me. Um, so I've spoke at a lot of city council meetings about raising money, why we should have whatever. I'm just a very outspoken person. Uh, and so as time went on, you know, I had raised money for the parks. Once I opened the skateboard shop, it made sense for me to throw the skateboard contests and fundraisers in that kind of way. After I threw skateboard contests, it's like, okay, well, I can bring people together. It doesn't have to be skateboarding. You know, now we're going to do an art show and raise money for, you know, a, a skateboard park or whatever. Now I'm going to be involved at this comedy show or whatever. Started getting involved in a lot of things that way, you know. Yeah. And because I was outspoken, because I was doing a lot of events and speaking at community things about why this, that or whatever should happen. Um, one of the city council members reached out to me, Emily Berge. And I had talked to each of those city council members pretty much one on one already. Like I had meetings with yeah. them about like, we need to get this park built. What are you doing? You know. And so she reached out to me and she's like, hey, we have a, a seat opening up on the Parks and Waterways Commission with the city. I think you'd be perfect for it. Um, we don't have anybody from your kind of background. We don't have anyone that's as involved with the youth directly as you. 
I think you'd be a great fit if you're willing to do it. It's a three-year term. It's unpaid. Um, but it's only once a month meetings that you have to go to. So it's not like a yeah. huge commitment. I'd love it if you were be willing to do it. And I said, uh, yeah, you know, I'll think about it. I filled out the little application and I submitted it and then COVID hit. So everything kind of got put on the back burner for a while and I almost forgot about it. And then all of a sudden I got an email saying the city council voted and appointed me this position because that's how it works. You know, you fill out an application and then the city council, when there's a chair open, looks at all the names and, and who these people are and they vote and appoint people. So I got appointed by my city council to be on my parks commission to start doing stuff that way. And now I've been on that for a little bit over a year, um, which got me more involved in a lot more city stuff. And I've been asked to run for city council quite a few times. And I just like, I don't have the time. You never know, you never know where the future may, may take you, right? Yeah, I've, I've thought about it. My sister's talked about doing politics too. But, you know, you don't get paid to be in politics, not on the local level. Or if you get paid, it's not hardly anything where you could even call it payment, you know, and maybe your voice would go for even further. I mean, look how much, yeah, all these years without getting paid. You yeah. Know, at least maybe you'd be really the forefront. I think know. I could have a huge impact. Um, yeah, I, I but it, it's just a matter of like, if I want to do the job the way that I would feel good about, I would have to put a lot of time into it. And I just simply can't afford right now at this stage of my career to to sacrifice the time I'm putting into my show and my art and my shop and all that on the things that do, you know, support me financially because I don't make a ton of money. Um, I can't really afford to put to, to make up that much available time for me to put it into um, doing that much politics in my town currently. Which that's like a, again, a whole long conversation about why politics are so skewed. You know, only people who are independently wealthy can afford to run and, and whatnot. Yeah. So, but long-term, you know, I think I might, but at the same time, you know, when you, when you become a city official, you have a lot of paperwork you sign, you know, yeah. and a lot of it are, are handcuffs telling you like, you're not allowed to talk publicly about this thing or this thing or that thing. And so there, there's a lot of like things that are kind of blocking you from doing certain things. Yeah. And I'm not going to like go on a political rant here, but regardless of how you feel about Trump, I'm not a fan, but whatever, regardless of how you feel about him, he made it pretty clear that you don't have to be a politician to have the most significant impact on the world, whether it's positive or negative for that matter. Um, but it kind of like was one of the things to show you that like, you don't have to be a politician to be extremely influential and affect politicians. Right. Yeah. Look at how much effect Elon Musk has on politics. And he's not a politician. So I kind of enjoy the fact that I can be as involved in city stuff as I want to and as much as I have time to. And I can gather yeah. people together. I can interview politicians on the radio. I can publicly make my presence known and affect change and get people to, to vote or congregate or, you know, push different things that I think are where things should go without being handcuffed by what I can and can't say. So yeah. that's kind of the direction I want to continue to go, at least for the time being. I mean, obviously you've had such a big impact all these years. Yeah. I appreciate, I try to. <laughs> yeah. From the outside looking in to me, that's, that's what I see. So, sure. Bravo to you. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Well, <laughs> I do want to thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode, Chris. It's been a pleasure. Now I, I want you to tell everyone, you know, how they can connect with you. Sure. Well, thanks for listening to my ramblings. I know I talk for a long period of time. I could talk for 10 plus hours about almost any subject. Um, you can find, <laughs> well, maybe we talk again at some point. Um, you can find me pretty easily if you just search Passion Pod 
it's it's not hard to find if you google it like you'll it'll pop up instagram is just passion pod i'm not on facebook so it's just instagram as far as social media goes it's passionpod.org for my website where you can order t-shirts and stuff if you want to support me that way um, patreon.com slash passion pod um, would be where like my monthly subscription is it's five dollars a month um, and there's a whole bunch of perks you know there's bonus episodes we do giveaways from things with guests that type of a thing my store is passion board shop if you're in the eau claire area for whatever reason i know your listeners probably aren't but if they were and they searched skateboard shop like I would pop up. So if you're ever in central Wisconsin area, um, passion board shop is the name of my store. It's passionboardshop.com for the website for that. Like I said, I'm not huge on as far as like sales online, but I like connecting with people online and I love to hear, you know, people's questions and, and encourage them. If they have questions about business, you know, I'm thinking about doing this with a brand. I would love to try to help that way. Instagram passion pod. I look at all my DMS. Like that's by far the easiest way to reach me for sure. Fantastic. Well, I do want to say thank you again. Thank you for taking out your time today. And we look forward to seeing you and talking to you all next week on Live Your Lux Life. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you. I want to thank you for joining us and hope you learned something new this week on Live Your Lux Life. Visit our website, liveyourluxlife.com to connect to our social media. Remember to follow our podcast and subscribe to us on YouTube and download our Roku channel. May we see you soon on our next episode with your host, Malia. If you would like to support the show, please consider becoming a premium member at premium.liveyourluxlife.com where you will join our community, participate in Ask Me Anything, and help the show to bring you weekly content.